When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. And welcome in to Mackie and Judd. Phil is out today, at least for this show, and so it is Judd. It is executive producer, co-host Declan Goff, and... The, a man that you see on the bonus scoop on Tuesday, but he is filling a primary role today. I don't even know if he knows this. You are part of the Mackie and Judge show. Darren Doogie Wolfson, Channel 5 Eyewitness News. More importantly in our world, Scoop Fame, Scoop Master. The man who comes with the reporting and answers. Uh, Darren, how thrilling is this to find <laughs> out at the 11th hour that you are... You are uh, coming out, out of the bullpen for Phil, and dare I say that you are far more classe than Pagan. Wow. All I you are Duran, not Pagan. Well, yeah, hopefully I'm Duran, not Pagan. Does Phil know who Wally Pip is? I'm imagining that Phil does. Yes. Think about Phil Mackey as Wally Pip. No, it's an honor. It's a privilege. We normally go back and forth for about 10 seconds pre-show. We did for about 10 seconds. But this is the first time hearing that I'm filling in for Phil. So yes. enormous shoes. Hopefully I don't F anything up. Let's no start problems. here. Let's start here. Timberwolves. I, I saw you, you tweeted out, and, and I think this is either now available or going to be soon. You uh, tweeted out that you sat down. In fact, it was a picture of you and Wolves coach Chris Finch. Um, as training camp draws closer and closer, what could you tell us about your conversation with the Timberwolves head coach? Yes, so I was over at Mayo Clinic Square on Monday, bonded with the Wolves head coach. I can tell you, I don't know if this is out there, look for training camp to begin. It would be the week of the 26th. So I know the Vikings play the Lions on Sunday the 25th. So for calendar's sake, if you're looking for Wolves coverage to really ramp up, look for it to ramp up early that week. So Monday is the 26th. So early that week, look for things to ramp up. Some teams are starting to release when they open training camp. Like I saw the Washington Wizards open up a few days prior to the 25th, 26th, 27th. But for Wolves' sake, look for coverage to really ramp up really that Monday, Monday the 26th. Yes, it was good to be over there. I suppose timely based on what took place over the weekend. And Anthony Edwards' Instagram story, troubling yeah. comments, homophobic comments. Frankly, at 21 years old, he has to know better. Like, what was going through his mind as you're doing that live on Instagram? Like, 
there's something off there. And yes, Chris Finch said teachable moment. But to me, Anthony Edwards should have been taught a long time ago not to use that sort of language. So incredibly troubling from my standpoint. The NBA is looking into this matter. Now, no guarantees that he gets suspended, but the league is at least looking into that possibility. Chris Finch, no shock, said we do not condone those comments. Tim Connolly, president of operations, also put out a statement later on Monday. So I guess it was timely to sit down with Finch from that standpoint. Now, truth be told, I sat down with Chris for 22-ish minutes. We went back and forth for 22 minutes. I'll have that interview posted as soon as I can get to a new Scoop podcast. So at some point here before the week is over, I did not start the conversation with that. In fact, I ended the conversation with that. If somebody wants to go at me, it was one question. I let him say what he needed to say. We were done. I just didn't think it needed any sort of follow-up. I'm not quite sure what he would have said as a follow-up, but he gave me about a 25-second long answer saying, hey, teachable moment. You know, we don't condone uh, what he said. Uh, They've talked. Finch and Edwards have had a back and forth. So Chris Finch let Anthony know where he stands on this. So that was probably the immediate headline. But bigger picture, Chris did tell me, Judd, that there is competition for that 15th roster spot. So when you look at Nate Knight, partially guaranteed contract, When you look at Austin Rivers, partially guaranteed contract. Heck, when you look at Jalen Noel, partially guaranteed contract, although there's nothing to worry about there. Although I'll remind you, the audience, that the two sides are not close on a contract extension. The two sides have had a number of chats going back, heck, at this point, two months pre-draft, really going back to June. The Wolves Mm -hmm. were trying to wrap up a contract extension with Noel, but the two sides We're not remotely close. But Noel is going to be the first guard off the bench. So I mentioned him as a partially guaranteed contract, but there's nothing to worry about there. But when you think about a guy like C.J. Ellaby, he comes in on an Exhibit 10 contract. He started 28 games for the Portland Trailblazers last year. And I get it. Portland was a train wreck. But this is a guy who legitimately earned NBA minutes last year, couldn't even earn a two-way contract. So that just tells you how hard it is to land a standard NBA contract. I've always said there are more NBA players than jobs available. C.J. Ellaby is one example. He's in town right now working out at Mayo Clinic Square, but he's a guy hoping for a chance, right? If you don't think Rivers or Knight will make the team, there is an opening there. Now, Eric Paschal is here on a two-way contract. He's a guy who has started NBA games before. I think they leave him in that two-way role where they will maximize the amount of time that he's up with the Wolves, that he won't spend a ton of time with the Iowa Wolves. Like Eric Pascal can play minutes at some point for the Wolves, but I don't think they messed with that two-way contract. They could at some point, you know, switch that to a standard deal, but I think they leave that as a two-way. The question is, can a guy like C.J. Ellaby elevate? If I had to bet, though, right now, Judd, Rivers makes the team, Nathan Knight, makes the team. So even though those guys have partially guaranteed deals, I think Rivers is guy 14, Knight is guy 15 when the Wolves have opening night mid-October at home against Chet Holmgren, although the Chet Holmgren left, although he'll be there probably sitting on the bench supporting his teammates, but against the Holmgren-led at some point, 
probably more so the 23-24 season, not the 22-23 season, but the Oklahoma City Thunder. Finch also noted that they have a stretch. If you look at the preseason schedule, they play both the Clippers and Patrick Beverly and the Lakers out in L.A. The games are like four or five days apart. So the Wolves will have like a mini training camp out in L.A. for that week, but also all sorts of team bonding activities where they will spend a lot of time together off the court. Also of note, Rudy Gobert playing for France in Eurobasket. Finch was over there, so Finch was in Egypt for a Basketball Without Borders event. He went from Egypt to Cologne, and he spent some time with Rudy in Germany. They went out to lunch, and Chris watched a few of the France games. Well, so what the Wolves are doing, not only do they have these group chats going, so Chris told me really in a short time, Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns have formed a really nice bond, but the entire Wolves roster gets these daily updates They get these stories sent to them. They get these video clips sent to them. So they are following very closely what Rudy Gobert is doing right now for Team France. I'll also note, so Gobert, these games, these Eurobasket games, they are high intensity. Like imagine second round NBA playoffs, maybe not quite NBA finals, but certainly like second round or even conference finals. There's a big time intensity to these Eurobasket games. So Gobert, he'll need some time to decompress. So you think about that first time the Wolves are on the court for training camp, like September 27th, -hmm. September 28th, September 29th. Chris said they have a plan. Like Rudy Gobert is not going to go at 100% those first handful of days of training camp. Maybe not even those first couple preseason games because he's playing at a very high level right now. He'll need some time just to, you know, rest the body. Rest the mind. Now, Chris also told me, when you look at Gobert, Judd, at 30 years old, he is a physical specimen. Like, there is minimal body fat. What he does to maintain his body with his nutrition, with his personal trainer, like, you have to, right, as a big man, right? Like, you can't be overweight as a big man and expect to play deep into your 30s. But, like, Gobert is in phenomenal shape. I don't know the exact number body fat percentage-wise, but like it has to be 4, 5, 6%, maybe max. Like there's no body fat there with Rudy Gobert. So that's one thing that Chris mentioned. You know, you saw it from afar, but you know, now studying Rudy that much closer, you realize just the physical freak that he is. Dukes, uh, some sports books starting to set a little bit more over under win totals in the NBA right now. DraftKings uh, has the Wolves at 48 and a half. Uh, points bet has the Wolves actually at 49 and a half. So more sports books will probably start setting these actual um, over unders once we get closer to the training camp, starting to get close to the regular season. But if you were a betting man, 49 wins, would you take the over or under on 49 wins for the Timberwolves in 2022-23? Declan, I think they are the four seed in the Western Conference. To get to the four seed, you need to go over. I think it's a favorable start of the schedule. Now, if the schedule was a bit different mid-October through mid-November, I might feel slightly differently, but it is such an easy start to the schedule when in theory they are still figuring things out, how Gobert and Cat will coexist. You have even Bryn Forbes. You have Kyle Anderson figuring out their rotation with all these new faces. Like I would have told you, okay, maybe I would pause. But if you look at their schedule, 
not just that opening game against Oklahoma City, but look at their first 9, 10, 11, 12 games, all those games at Target Center, but not only at Target Center, but against the bottom feeders of the Western Conference, Houston, San Antonio. Like, it's a really easy start to the schedule. They should win those games, even with hiccups, presumed hiccups. Like, it's not going to click right away when you bring in Gobert with Cat now switching to the four, right? There's an adjustment there, right? But, like, they can adjust and still win those games. So I will take the over. Maybe not comfortably over. I'm not suggesting 60 wins like some other people are, but I would take over 49 and a half. So, Dukes, what do you think the expectation internally, I guess starting with uh, Tim Conley and Finch, what do you think the expectation is to what you brought up, which is how much time is expected to get the Gobert-Towns relationship on the court fine-tuned? I'm curious about that one because I, I'm guessing it's going to be good to start with, but I'm guessing that it's going to be, that it's going to be you know, by December, uh, probably more cohesive than it's going to be on opening night. Absolutely. I mean, I can't give you a definitive timetable, Judd. I can't tell you game 15 right. is going to just automatically click. No worries right. thereafter. I mean, I think there will be ebb and flows for a good portion of the season. But, like, you think about the good right from the get-go. D'Angelo Russell, Finch told me this. So I said, hey, are there any concerns with D'Angelo? You benched him in the Memphis series. Yeah. And Chris said, hey, I've spent time with D'Angelo this summer. We've had a number of conversations. He's in a really good spot. He knows it's a contract year. He's trying to earn a big-time contract again. But he said, hey, like, D'Angelo can do some things with Rudy that he wasn't able to do previously. Like, we're going to be able to unlock more there with D'Angelo. Chris also reminded me, and he's right, they're not even the seventh seed against Memphis without Russell's performance in the playing game against the Clippers. <laughs> yeah. Right? So he goes, hey, like, he can cite many examples. Yeah. Did Russell struggle against Memphis? Undoubtedly. Did Dylan Brooks have a lot to do with that? Yeah, for sure. Dylan Brooks is a plus defender. But, like, they maybe could have found a way to win that series. Heck, they probably should have won that series. And guess what? D'Angelo could have played very well that next series. Where, yeah, That's guys true. struggle for a series, but it's not necessarily the way they play for an entire playoff run. So Chris was quick to remind me. So, you know, I tried to challenge him a little bit on D'Angelo. And he was very, very supportive of D'Angelo. So you think about D'Angelo. You think about Jalen Noel, another guy in a contract year. Like, he told me, you know, Jalen can play really well off Rudy. Now, Jalen has a ways to go defensively, but like mm-hmm. Jalen and Rudy can be a really nice one-two combination. So like there are there are some good things. But yeah, I mean, undoubtedly, Cat and Gobert are going to have to find ways to play off of each other. You know, Finch said, hey, nothing against Utah, but like we think there's more there offensively with Rudy's game. Like we're trying to unlock some things that we haven't seen before maybe we've seen with team France if you watch some of these France games you know they use Rudy differently than Utah did and that's not a knock against Quinn Snyder I think Quinn Snyder is an excellent coach I guarantee you one year from now we'll be talking about Quinn Snyder coaching somewhere right like he got out of Utah because he saw the writing on the wall with a complete rebuild wasn't interested in that but Quinn Snyder is an excellent coach just based on their personnel they had to play a certain way but like Finch feels like with their personnel they can do some things differently 
including using Rudy on offense a lot differently than Utah did. But yeah, I mean, for sure, Judd. Like, there are going to be growing pains. There are going to be times where we have these conversations on Tuesdays and Thursdays being like, whoa, what the heck happened last night? That's going to be Mac right? Because they have a lot of Wednesdays. They'll be very right? upset. Yeah, so yeah. we'll talk a lot on Thursdays. We'll be like, yeah. what the heck did we see last right. night? Like, I guarantee those conversations will take place. But, like, I think this thing has a chance to work, work at a pretty high level. And, you know, we're still talking about a franchise that has advanced past the first round once in 30-plus years. Mm-hmm. Right? So the bar's not super, super high. Yeah, trust me. You know, come June when the Wolves don't have a first-round pick, you know, I'll be reminded. I'll be like, gosh darn it. Like, it sure would have been nice to have a pick in this draft, a pick in the 25 draft, right? I get that. But I'm not anti a team going for it. Heck, I'm really happy for my guy, J.B. Bickerstaff in Cleveland, right, with Donovan Mitchell. You know, so, like, I don't have a problem when a team goes for it. You know, I can't remember buzz like this entering a Wolf season really since – I suppose after the Spreewell Cassell editions, right? Going back to, you know, preseason 2003. So, like, we haven't felt this sort of buzz the, the Butler in 19 acquisition. years. The, the Butler acquisition was pretty, at that point in time, with, with the whole Mall of America rotunda cell phone thing, that was pretty well received. But I think that this feels more real. Well, this feels more real. I agree. This feels more sustainable. Close. Yeah, no doubt. That's a wonderful comeback, Judd, no doubt. I just still think there was at least a portion of the fan base, maybe yeah. because Flip was such a believer in Zach Levine. Yeah. You know, Flip just believed in that core, that Levine-Wiggins-Cat core. Keep that core together, special things can happen. That there were some people who said, hey, Tibbs just blew up Flip's vision. So, yeah, maybe Jimmy helps immediately, but over the course of a few years... Is it the right move? Now, I'll admit, I had no problem with the move. Once you hand the keys to Tibbs, Tibbs can do whatever he wants. Tibbs had the relationship with Jimmy. So at the time, my first guess was, you know what? That is a trade I support. That is a trade I would have made. But I'm just telling you, Judd, there was a decent portion of the fan base that mm-hmm. said, you know what? Keep Levine and draft Laurie Markkinen. Remember, that was the guy they would have chosen yep. if they had stayed at their draft slot, right? Now, there are some fans, right? Like, we could get some tweets, we could get some texts, whatever, emails saying, you know what? I don't support the Gobert trade. They gave up way too much first-round equity. I'm not on board with that. Hey, I think Bomaro has a future. Hey, I think Kessler has a future. Why are we giving up 23-year-old Jared Vanderbilt? He's a really good player. He's only going to get better. So, trust me, there are going to be some Wolves fans, but... I think there are more Wolves fans who support the Gobert trade than, to me, that supported the Jimmy Butler trade. Dukes, the latest on uh, the Wolves' Pobo, uh, Tim Connolly. What's what's the latest with him? Yeah, so he's overseas. So, I mean, he loves scouting overseas. So it's not only Connolly. He's got a couple staff members with him. So the Wolves have a contingent overseas. They went to go scout some 23 draft prospects, even though they don't have a first-round pick. But you never know. You could always trade for a first-round pick buy a first-round pick, buy an early second-round pick, whatever. So they were over in Belgrade doing some scouting. Now they've transitioned to go watch Gobert. So I haven't looked at when France plays next. I know they advanced in a close game out of the round of 16. So I don't know when their round of eight game is. Heck, maybe it's going on as we speak, Declan. Maybe you can look that up when France plays next. But the idea was for Connolly 
to then transition along with a couple other Wolves front office members to go watch Gobert play for Team France. For the record, I, I would like to say for the 1,000th time on these shows, I hate international competition when players are, I want them in training camp fresh. So I just want to say that I, this might be the greatest basketball of all time, but you're being paid millions of dollars by the Timberwolves, not France. Well, um, you know what? Bring that up if somehow Gobert breaks down. I, I hate mean, it. He I, doesn't I have a history dis- of missing games. This. He's yeah. been pretty darn durable. But I guarantee, I promise, Judd, if he somehow even misses a couple games yep. due to some sort of minor injury like in November or December, you're I going to go stuff. off the rails. I can just see I'm it gonna happening. I'm going to lose it. Yeah. I'm going to lose it because of Team France. Dude, you're playing for the Timberwolves. Uh, the, the Vikings opened with a very impressive win against the Packers. Now, yes, the Packers did not look good, Darren, but I will say this. I loved what the Vikings did and how they they looked. I think if, if we had last week said, like, best case, right? Like, what's, what's the best case offensively that, that we can see defensively special teams? I think this was it. This is probably as good of start against, a, you know, an arch rival as this team could have had. And, you know, we know that Justin Jefferson's special. That's not breaking news. But I did think that in his first foray with uh, with Kirk Cousins as his quarterback, Kevin O'Connell got as much from Kirk as you can possibly get and deserves credit for that. Amen. Like, it's the beauty of sports, right? The ultimate reality TV. None of us, nobody on the planet foresaw what took place on Sunday. Yeah, people picked the Vikings to win, but certainly not win convincingly like that. You even mentioned, yeah, special teams. Heck, they came close to blocking how many different punts, right? The 56-yard field goal. They had one really good kick coverage where they kicked it short of the end zone. They tackled the Packers' return man at, what, the 16, 17-yard line. Like, special teams was a plus just across the board. Even Rager had a return or two for six, seven yards. You'll take that, right? Just don't fumble the ball. Heck, if you can get a return like Marcus Sherrill's for 10, 12, 14 yards, great. But like, if you can just get some positive yards, you hold on to the football, fantastic. The beauty of Jefferson, Judd, you probably have the exact numbers, but like he lined up at tight end for a play. He lined up in the backfield for a play or two. Yep. He lines up slot left, slot right, wide left, wide right. He was matched up how often against a safety or a linebacker? I don't have the exact percentage, but like how often was a cornerback on him? Like it wasn't that often, right? So presumably that changes next Monday. I would imagine Philadelphia has Darius Slay. Like if they don't have him shadowing Jefferson, like, cornerbacks are going to be on Jefferson Monday night. I just – I have a hard time believing. Like, I just don't see – and Marcus Epps is a good player. Remember him, former Vikings draft pick? The Vikings yep. cut him a few months into his run here in 2019. He's now a really good safety for the Philadelphia Eagles. But, like, I have a hard time believing Epps is going to be one-on-one in coverage with Justin Jefferson. So, there is so much to, like – if you go back history-wise, and I get it, the 2022 Vikings are their own story, but like how often does a team win convincingly against a really good opponent in week one, then just curl up in the fetal position the rest of the year. Now I'm not suggesting this means 12, 13, 14 wins, but I bet if you go back 
you know, a dozen years or a half dozen years. There are a number of examples where just a team wins so convincingly week one, they just don't fail miserably for large stretches the rest of the season. So, like, there's so much to like coming off Sunday. Yeah, it was it was about as good as it gets. Like, if you're a Vikings fan, I don't know what else you could want. Maybe the run defense, some leakiness with the run defense. But there's also an adjustment. Like, you think about Daniil Hunter now in a 3-4. Like, Daniil was really good against the run in the 4-3. Heck, he was really good against the run in college. There's going to be an adjustment, right, moving to the 3-4. Daniil playing the run. Zadarius had some leakage run defense-wise. So, yeah, maybe the run defense if you really want to get picky. But, like, I'm just telling you, like, if you don't want to go A-plus, then go A. Like, if you're just reluctant to go with the plus because of the run defense, fine, so be it. But to me, that was borderline A, A plus. Dukes, put into context, too, with, with you working on the TV side, I, I saw you tweet out the numbers for, for that Vikings game and that it always just reigns supreme, and obviously the Vikings will be on Monday Night Football next week. Put into context just how massive NFL games always are and how the NFL just seems to always win with those TV ratings. Yeah, so we at Hubbard Broadcasting, that would include all of us, specifically on the TV side, have a guy that his main role is analyzing the ratings, right? So there's a rating system. He gets the numbers overnight. He analyzes, you know, and they use those numbers to sell ads, right? That's the way it works, right? So like his day largely is just analyzing the numbers and being able to give to the sales department okay, you can sell these numbers, you can sell those numbers, right? Broken down by demographics, you know, all sorts of different ways the numbers are broken down. But if you look at total viewers, regardless of age, total viewers for Sunday's game, it was over 1 million. Now, it wasn't like 1 million for the duration of three hours, but just the total number of viewers who spent any portion of time watching that game on Sunday on the local Fox affiliate, the Twin Cities viewing area, which extends pretty far east, right? You can go 45 minutes into Wisconsin, 94 east, maybe more than that. That's still the Twin Cities viewing area. You can go, you know, north, you know, as far as like Alexandria, you know, maybe a little south of Alexandria, but certainly north of St. Cloud, you are still in the Twin Cities viewing area. You can go far west. You can go pretty far south, like Darn near Mankato, right? St. Peter, right in that area, right? So think about Belle Plaine, you know, there. You know, you drive for 45 minutes or an hour south. That's still the Twin Cities viewing area. So within the Twin Cities viewing area, there were approximately 1 million people. Again, regardless of age, 1 million people who tuned in to that game. And I get it. There are many Packers fans in our viewing area. Right. So Vikings Packers normally does better numbers than, you know, Vikings Lions or Vikings Saints or whatever it might be. Now, Monday night might be a different animal. That game may approach one million just based on that unique time slot. But like a normal Sunday noon or 325 game, you're getting a huge viewership. You're just not getting one million. But make no mistake about this. Nothing locally touches Vikings games. A big wild playoff game. Heck. You know, years ago, you know, the Seinfeld finale or the ER finale or any number of popular sitcom finales, like just nothing touches Vikings games. It's not 
even close. So yeah, just the viewership was through the roof. Then you also think about the 65,000 people that were at U.S. Bank Stadium. So like imagine if that game was at Lambeau. It might have been closer to, you know, maybe not 1.1 million, but certainly more than the 1 million. But even 1 million viewers for that game Sunday, that is just ridiculous. Trust me, I can promise you on this. We are very, very happy that Monday night's game, Vikings-Eagles, is on Hubbard Broadcasting, right? It's on Channel 5. It's an ABC game. ABC game, yeah. We are also very happy. I don't know if this is out there. Call this a mini scoop. Maybe I've even mentioned it before. But week four, Vikings, Saints, London. That game will be on Channel 5. It's an early start. It's an 8.30 a.m. start. But a lot of people don't get NFL Network. Yeah, that game will be on Channel 5. Nice. I had no idea. Cool. Well, now you know. I appreciate that, too. Thank you. Uh, so before the aggregators get pissed off, I'm going to ask you again. Indomitian <laughs> Sue update. The aggregators need copy. They need content. They need to post something. They love to hear Darren Doogie Wilson's update on Indomitian Sue. Give me the potential update as we are now past week one and he can sign without his contract necessarily being guaranteed for the season. Here's the update as of 6.30 last night. So I apologize. We're talking here Tuesday morning, 11.05 a.m. Central. So maybe there's something new in the last 16 hours. But as of 16 hours ago, nothing new. Now, is the Sioux camp continuing to check in with the Vikings? Yes, absolutely. Would Endomic and Sioux enjoy playing for the Vikings? Yes, absolutely. But it's a two-way street. Nothing percolating on the Vikings end. So as far as I know, as we sit here on Tuesday morning, there is not anything that is imminent in Dominican Sue landing with the Vikings. I feel like they need more depth there. Like that that's one well, thing that's, I feel like, that's I feel like they really do need. Yeah. yeah, I mean at some point, you know, I mean, I would think he'd take the minimum, right? I mean, the Vikings would sign him to the minimum, right? Sure. I mean, I think I can't say with one hundred percent certainty, but my sense is Ndamukong Sue is not ready to retire, that he wants to play football at some point this year, right? So to play, you need to sign with a team. There's breaking news, right? So, yes, I agree with you, Judd. They could use some depth there. So that would be something to continue to keep an eye on. Never say never as long as the player is sitting out there. Uh, hey, go for football. All right. To be very clear here, I am not that excited about what they've done, they've taken care of business, good for them, but they have played two inferior opponents. But I have watched almost every quarter of Iowa Hawkeye football so far, and I've watched a little Wisconsin. And to be very, very clear here, I am incredibly excited about the Gophers' prospects because the Hawkeyes offensively are beyond awful. And Wisconsin, if they can't run, if if the run is stopped, they are absolutely in trouble. I have never felt this positive about the Gophers' chances to win the Big Ten West if they just continue on a path of being good. Does Who's that the seem only fair? unbeaten team? That is fair. Who's the only unbeaten team in the Big Ten West? The Gophers. You got it. Every other team. Northwestern lost like Duke. Has one loss. Yeah. You know, my guy Evan Hall, the running back for Northwestern, he's one of the best running backs in the Big Ten. The Gophers did not want him out of Maple Grove High School. But he had something like 14 catches in that game on Saturday. But yeah, the Wildcats lost that game to Duke. I still think Purdue has a chance to be pretty good. The Gophers do get Purdue here. 
in October. I believe that's homecoming, by the way. So that should be fun. But Purdue has some guys. The quarterback is really good. Purdue, maybe not Wisconsin or Iowa. It could be Purdue could be the Gophers' biggest challenge to winning the West. But, Judd, I agree. What a year to not play Michigan or Ohio State. Those are both, like, legitimately top five teams. I've watched both teams so far. Both are really, really good. That's, again, not breaking news. But, like, to be able to avoid Michigan and Ohio State, like, this is the year. And I get it. The game in a week, September 24th at Michigan State, really hard game. But guess what? Even if you lose that game, you still absolutely can win the West. It's not like you need to go unbeaten to win the Big Ten West. Heck, you could probably have two losses, maybe even three losses based on tiebreakers. So, yes, this is the year. Think about all the experience the Gophers have. Sixth-year guys. Heck, the Gophers have a seventh-year guy, Clay Geary. Wide receiver was a Tracy Clays player. Seriously. They have a seventh-year player. He's my age. I know, but they have all these sixth-year players, right? Chris Altman-Bell, Mo Ibrahim, Tanner Morgan. Like, they have all this experience. Kirk Scirocco being back as the OC, as the play caller, a really big deal. The Gophers don't have to apologize for what they did the first two weeks, right? They can't control those teams being that bad. But, yeah, you're right. Like, from an FCS standpoint, like my boy Dom Izzo in Fargo, who follows the FCS very closely, covers North Dakota State, like, he's on record saying Western Illinois may not win a game this year. Like, they're going to play a bunch of other FCS teams. They're not going to win those games. In spring ball, Judd, Western Illinois only had something like 43 players out. Now, they've added players since then. But, like, they barely had a roster for two deep in spring ball. So, yeah, like Western Illinois is really, really bad. So there's only so much you can glean from Saturday's game. There's only so much you can glean from the New Mexico State game after they played just a few days prior. They're bad anyway, but then had to travel. So we'll learn maybe a little bit more this Saturday, although Colorado, blown out by TCU, blown out by Air Force. Heck, remember, it was last year, Judd. I couldn't find the Pac-12 network. I went to a couple bars in St. Louis Park. I ended up at your house. Thankfully, you have the Pac-12 network. Yeah, I knocked so on I remember, my door and I almost didn't answer. last year. I recall. And You're yeah, like, you had I'm a bunch like, of treats. I don't know about this. No, you laid out the red carpet. Yeah, I you did. Were, that was pretty good to you. You were very hospitable. Yeah, I love you. So yeah, I mean, it was it was nice, right? I mean, that was a 30 to nothing game. So the Gophers destroyed right. Colorado last year. So I fully expect them to destroy Colorado on Saturday. But I'm just saying, like, don't write any sort of final chapter if the Gophers somehow lose to Michigan State, because even if they lose to Michigan State, now if they win, heck, to me it's smooth sailing into the Big Ten championship game. But if they lose on September 24th, barring catastrophic injuries, right? right? But, like, if you win September 24th, heck, start making hotel reservations for Indianapolis first weekend of December. But even if you lose that game in East Lansing, there still very much is a realistic path to winning the Big Ten West. The time has come. The Gophers have knocked on the door for a while. Heck, they knocked on the door under Jerry Kill. They knocked on the door in 2019. They knocked on the door pretty good last year. Remember, Nebraska let down the Gophers. If Nebraska had just found a way to hold on against Iowa, it would have been the Gophers winning the Big Ten West. So they came close under Kill. They've come close under Fleck. I'm on record. It's a write that down, maybe not officially on this show, but somewhere, Twitter sphere somewhere, 
I have to write that down. It's when, not if. P.J. Fleck leads the Gophers to a Big Ten West championship, the Big Ten championship game. So, yeah, to me, it is this year. I would make the Gophers the betting favorite. Now, maybe that's not going on on a limb when every other team has a loss. But based on the talent they have with Sharaka back, knowing how good a defensive coordinator Joe Rossi is, yes, this is the year. I fully expect to see the Gophers playing on December 3rd in Indianapolis. Final scoop, sir. Well, Louis Varland, look for him. He will start for the Twins. You know, now maybe he will. He's expected. How about that? So the aggregators don't go nuts. He's expected to start for the Twins in Cleveland later this week. So the Twins have a double header in Cleveland. So they can add a 29th man. The signs are pointing to Louis Varland, the North St. Paul graduate, Concordia St. Paul, making another start for the Twins after that nice first start in Yankee Stadium. Look for Louis Varland to start for the Twins in Cleveland later this week. I'm told he's been throwing down in Florida. So, like, the Saints have a game tonight at CHS. Now, maybe he flew back here, but, like, the last couple days, I was told he's been throwing down south. Regardless, whether he was throwing here or elsewhere, look for him to start for the Twins later this week. Jorge Polanco should be able to come off the IL at some point Mm -hmm. this week. I continue to hear that Byron Buxton is progressing, but like, I feel like he felt like he could have played a couple days ago, but the twins are on the record. You know, I spoke with Rocco late last week, you know, along with some others where Rocco said, Hey, we're not putting him out there at 50%. So, you know, Buck feels like he can play at 50%, but the twins won't put him out there at 50%. So in Buck's mind, yeah, I could go play. The twins don't feel like he's quite ready to play. He needs to ramp up baseball activities but there is a slimmer of hope that maybe he can get back in there in Cleveland. Like, I think it's over, right? Cleveland won again last night. It's now five. You're in third place. There's only so many games that you have an opportunity to make up. Like, you look at the White Sox remaining schedule, Cleveland's remaining schedule. Like, it's an incredible long shot. But, like, as long as they still have a 1% chance or a 2% chance, like, Buck's going to try to get out there. So, you know, slimmer of hope. I'm not guaranteeing anything. But slimmer of hope of Buxton getting back out there before the week is over. So for those big five games, or at least some of those games, in Cleveland later this week. Gophers basketball, it's an open recruiting period. There are two top targets remaining in the class of 2023. So they have the commitment from Cam Christie, the number one senior in the state of Illinois. That's Max Christie's younger brother. That's a really good get to get him out of the state of Illinois. The two remaining top targets, Dennis Evans, big man, in California, he's yeah. got a relationship with one current gopher. Dave Thorson's been recruiting him really good. Some other gophers coaches. He's a five-star talent, Judd. Like Kansas wants this kid. TCU does too, but he's going to visit here before the month is over. The gophers, I'm told, really feel good about their chances to land this five-star center, a top 20 player in the country. Again, the name is Dennis Evans. Then they feel good about Nolan Winter, Lakeville North senior. His dad is Trevor Winter. Yep. He's got a lot of interest. You know, Big Ten teams, you know, St. Thomas. You know, but he's a high major player, not a mid-major player. So the Gophers would love to complete their 2023 recruiting class with Evans, with Winter, along with Christie. If people are wondering, Tayson Chapman, the number one senior in the state of Minnesota, guard from Totino Grace, he's close to making his commitment. The sense is it won't be Minnesota. It might be a two-way street where the Gophers have Christie, 
So do they need Chapman? You know, he's visited Ohio State. Kansas, you know, has some interest in Chapman, Xavier. So he's got really good options. He's a really good player, good kid. It just may not be Minnesota, but that could be a two-way street sort of thing. Thanks, Dukes. Great stuff, and we will talk to you again on Thursday. You got it, Judd. Take it easy. Bye-bye. There Bye. What There's a great Darren job. Wilson, man. Just he came, in. came out of the bullpen and was just spitting fire the entire time. Of course he is. He always is. All right, Judd. Let's transition a little bit of uh, Vikings talk here on Mackie and Judd, Sands Mackie. But I want to remind my friends about Hail Ace. You know, Judd, uh, I know sometimes you park your car outside out in SLP, and, you know, this oh, yeah. spring it was a nasty, nasty weather uh, for hail damage and rain. And, you know, so if, if you had some of that happen to your car, go check out our friends at Hail Ace. Um, our guy Adam works with you and works with the insurance company to make the process very simple, very smooth. You can book your appointment online at HailAce.com. Take care of it. You can, he'll, he'll make your car look brand new. Go to HailAce.com to learn more and book your appointment now. And if you enter, uh, if you get an appointment between September and October, you will be entered in a pair for Vikings tickets at the Polaris Club later in the Ooh. season. So, Ooh, so you can go fix your car. That's swanky, man. That's and then nice. maybe Polaris also Club? get some Vikings tickets. That sounds great. And the Polaris Club, too. Not just, hey, nosebleed tickets. No, in right. the Polaris Club, pretty damn good tickets. Go check out our friends at HailAce, HailAce.com to learn more. And you know what, Dex, if you're going to take care of your, your car, right, the body of your car is important. If you are concerned about that, then I bet you are concerned about your own physical being. And if you're carrying around some extra weight right now, you know, you go to Hail Ace to take care of your car. Where do you go to lose the extra weight and take care of yourself? I have one stop shopping for you there. It's it's uh, go see my friends at Livia Weight Control Centers, where they have an offer right now, eight weeks for free. The first eight weeks for free. Imagine the weight that you can take off. And I dropped 40 pounds in the past year, basically. Um, it is as easy as possible. And then the most important thing is maintaining that weight loss because we've all lost weight and then inevitably a lot of us have gained that weight back with Livia that's not the problem 855 go l i v e a livia l i v e a dot com that is where you start on a weight loss journey that i guarantee you will be successful livia.com so um i want to draw a comparison here because i think we all watched the uh, debacle in Seattle last night, Denver Broncos, Denver Broncos, Nathaniel Hackett, whose name I think was tossed around early on after Zimmer was fired. As far as, you know, are the, you know, potentially are the Vikings going to pursue this guy or, or that guy. Now, Nathaniel Hackett was the non-play calling OC for Matt LaFleur with the Packers. Um, I think he was highly regarded, but Dex, this is the danger of, of an OC, which Kevin O'Connell was too, but it's the danger of an OC becoming a coach. I told you and Phil repeatedly on Monday, my opinion of O'Connell on Sunday was very high in part because despite the fact that he personally said in his post-game press conference and then again in his Monday press conference that he had some things to work on, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think there was any one thing that we debated like, oh man, he didn't call that timeout or why didn't he do this? Or he shouldn't have challenged that. Right. And, and I think we take it for granted that when a coach does a good job managing a game, well, of course he did. He's right, a head coach, right. but how much did we debate Zimmer screwed up clock, screwed up challenges. Uh, when Nathaniel Hackett let all of that time, uh, first of all, 
on fourth down and five at what the 46, I believe of Seattle, when he let all of that time go off the clock to have Brandon McManus attempt a 64 yard field goal. And Russell Wilson, who is being paid millions and millions had the ball taken out of his hands. That is one of the reasons I thought the fact that we didn't debate one thing O'Connell did on Sunday was so huge. Yes, he was incredible. I, I think what O'Connell said that he wanted to work on more too was just working more at the defensive play calling, which honestly good for him. You know, I, I, I said when they hired Ed Donatel and that Kevin O'Connell was filling out his staff that, hey, good for you to outsource things that maybe you're not as familiar with, but you trust and you're putting it in a place where someone knows what they're doing. You're not ignoring it. Like Zim would ignore offense, right? Zim said, no, 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 Gary, Clint, you guys. Well, he told him what offense. he wanted and then said, do what I want but I'm coaching and calling defensive plays. Right, exactly. Where I think Kevin O'Connell wants to make sure that, hey, maybe there were some things I missed uh, from the defensive side of the ball, and he wants to fix those. But from the Nathaniel Hackett side, I mean, also, by the way, we will have some old tweets exposed on Nathaniel Hackett because uh, this show was a little bullish on Nathaniel Hackett back in it, February. It, and we will self-report. Man. And we'll self-report that. That's no problem. Um, but they certainly dodged a bullet. I mean, look. Even if your opinion of Russell Wilson has changed, or even if Russell Wilson's play has fallen off from being the guy who went to back to back Super Bowls and was one of the most winningest quarterbacks in the NFL coming into this year, Nathaniel Hackett made the decision to let 45 to 50 seconds come off the clock and trust a kicker over a quarterback who has been to two Super Bowls, won a Super Bowl. You're paying a lot of money. Like, if. If Kevin O'Connell was in the same shoes and he did that to Kirk to line up for Greg Joseph, I would be ripping him too, yeah. uh, w- regardless of the kicking outcome, pretty much, right? Like, I know if we would have made the kick, oh, well, I guess it worked out. See, what are you guys talking about? No, we, we, that would have been rippable. That was, that was inexcusable clock management by Nathaniel Hackett. There's no chart on earth that says eat clock for a 64-yard field goal attempt. And, and here's the problem. I don't care who your quarterback is. Like, True. it's worse because it's Russ. That's epic stupidity. But if your quarterback is anybody, I believe a 64, I think if, if McManus had made that field goal, I think it would have tied for the second longest field goal in NFL history, and the game was in Seattle. It's ridiculous. And and what drove you crazy, too, was Hackett didn't accidentally let the clock run down. It wasn't even that he purposely said we're going to go for a 64-yard field goal. Now, now if it's 55, okay, might not love that, but I sort of get that one. But um, and, and here's what I saw, too. And, and again, the Vikings, and they have 16 games left, so this could change completely. But think about the game on Sunday, and think about how relatively clean that game looked. I, I mean, it justified, as o- O'Connell said post-game, it justified the fact that guys didn't play in the exhibition games, the starters, because they it looked good. And there's still more there, but it, it did look good. But I was I was jotting down the Broncos errors from last night, okay? And the yeah. last one, the Hackett thing is egregiously stupid. Like there's no defending that one. But if you watch that game, they fumbled, if I'm not mistaken, twice at the goal line. Mm-hmm. They were in the red zone and didn't score like four times total. I believe that's correct. Yeah, and and God bless him. He played a good game, but they did their best to make Geno Smith look like Tom Brady in his prime. Yeah, yeah, like that defense was egregiously bad, and that's the one thing that Denver had with uh, you know their previous coach 
Vic Fangio and Donatel there as his DC. That's the one thing that that team had. There was no part of the Broncos, a team that is paying Russ millions to win right now. Like this is not a, well, we'll be good in a couple of years thing. That entire game is what can happen if you have a coach who's not prepared and Hackett was not prepared for that game. And there, if you're trying to win, Dex, there's not a lot of time to say, well, I mean, that's okay. That was a big game. And the Denver Broncos looked absolutely unprepared in almost every way with a quarterback who's expected to basically get them in the playoffs and win right now. It was, was also just, it was also just mind blowing watching the play calling towards the goal line too. With like they were in shotgun numerous times. Um, look, Denver has two capable running backs. I, I guess I get that to a degree, but then Russ also didn't throw to a wide receiver in the first half, right? Like, man, like it, it just it makes you really appreciate, yeah, what you have in Kevin O'Connell. And look, I would say most people would take Russell Wilson over Kirk Cousins if they were doing a rankings. I think the majority of people would. I wouldn't say it's unanimous, but I would say the majority of football fans, if you were to pull where Kirk Cousins falls, where Russell Wilson falls. I'm guessing Wilson is above Kirk Cousins, at least in the preseason rankings. Um, But it just seemed like Denver shot themselves in the foot. I mean, they went into Seattle as heavy favorites on the road against a Geno Smith-led team with Pete Carroll, and they beat them. And and, and the Broncos have Super Bowl aspirations, right? They didn't just make that trade for willy-nilly. They didn't just bring in a new coach and change the whole culture. They have Super Bowl aspirations this year in a very crowded and, 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 and heavy competitive division. Yep. Um, so the the fact the Vikings went in and, you know, were able to, to hold the Packers to seven points. I saw a stat today that that was just the second time that a Kirk Cousins team, his defense allowed seven points or less in a win. That's only the second time. Mac Jones had four such games last year alone. That's so funny. so it, it is kind of funny how that works. But, yes, I, I, I do think it makes you appreciate when you watch, like, the blunders from Nathaniel Hackett and the Broncos yesterday. Like, man, Vikings really do have a good one in Kevin O'Connell. Yeah, now here's what I'm curious too. I and I think it's why um the the game Monday night in Philly is gonna be so revealing in some ways. So the one thing the Broncos had, and look, they were not prepared, so that's on them. But the one thing that the Broncos had was that stadium in Seattle is a very tough place. It is loud as hell. It's as loud as a dome. Uh they they have built it and it's pretty genius so that it holds the sound in. So, like, there is adversity the second, as an opposing team, that you step on the the field there. And Philadelphia presents not the same noise, but it certainly presents problems. It's a hostile place. It's going to be a Monday night game. There's going to be a lot of fans incredibly drunk. They're mean when they're sober. So, if they're drunk at night, it's worse. Um, I am very, very curious to see how that translates now. Because what we saw in, in a in a friendly environment was very impressive. O'Connell's talked about this and he talked about in his press conference Monday, the communication now, right? Because the communication is going to be tough. I think this is going to be another step in seeing the preparation. Um, I think O'Connell knows that. I don't think he's trying to hide from that. But if the Vikings can go into Philadelphia and play anything as you know close to as clean a game as it seemed that they played Sunday, that's going to be doubly impressive based on the fact that the elements in Philly are about as challenging, especially from an opposing fan base, as you can possibly get. 
I think that will be, you know, we, we talked about in 09 when, you know, the five Greg Lewis play happened. And granted, that was what, week four? Um, week the four. 2009 season. Yes. This is week two. But those first three games in 09 with Favre, he was more of a passenger, you know, handing off to AP. Mm-hmm. Looked like the old man, you know, maybe he can take this team somewhere, but maybe not Super Bowl aspirations. Maybe get some of the postseason, but that was it. And then that play to Greg Lewis, and you're like, oh, no, this is something special. This is actually something legitimate. It's probably a little too premature to say if you go into Philadelphia and stop him on the mouth that, oh, this is still something special because you're still only 2-0 and and it's week two of, of a you know 17-game season. But I do think there is a potential there to have a statement win of, oh, you just went in on a primetime oh. game with a quarterback who has struggled historically in big moments, and you daggered them on the road. Um, that would be very, very impressive. I, I'm just curious how he handles you know Jalen Hurts. You know, uh, Hurts can bail out plays with his legs. You know, so can you keep him in the pocket and force him to throw in the pocket? I know they got A.J. Brown. Got to set the edge, Declan. Yeah. Set the edge. Got to set that edge. Can't let him get outside, which so is the I, pr- problem. I, I do think it's it's a potential statement game if they can go in there. You know, because if they lose, I don't think anyone's going to be, like, down the dumps on this team. They started 1-0. and That's good. Right. They kind of they, they bought themselves. I want to say they bought themselves a loss in Philadelphia, but you're not going to feel horrible about it if you lose in Philly. But if you win... My God, it, it! I think you can really start getting really, really excited. This is something special. Well, and then plus to to your point, if they win, you're going Detroit at home, the Saints on the road, but in London at a neutral site in London, the Bears at, at home, and you should beat the Bears. And then before the bye, October sixteenth, the Dolphins, which is going to be tough down there. But the fact is, I'm with you. I think if the Vikings lose, unless they get absolutely blown out, and it's embarrassing. I don't think people are upset at all. If they win, I think the excitement, though, ratches up about three notches mm-hmm. based on the upcoming schedule then, too. Because, I mean, this is this is of the next one, two, three, four, of the next four games, this is the toughest game. Yep. Like and the Saints, the Saints there would be tough. Mm-hmm. I think the Saints might be a decent team, but at a neutral site with the game taken out of their incredibly loud stadium, Advantage Vikings for sure. And this is where, again, you get back into the piecemealing of your schedule. So if the Vikings go 2-0, and right, um, and if you want to get to 11 wins, well, then you only need to find basically two more wins on the road and then six more wins at home. That gives Which you I... to seven wins and gets you to four road wins. Like, that gets you to 11 wins. It makes it makes the path a lot easier, and it's why then websites like 538 and others have the Vikings actually have higher Super Bowl odds, not because yep. they're necessarily the favorites, but because the path to get there is a lot easier from a team that's 0-2. And we know historically that if you start 0-2 in the NFL, at least pre with the 16-game schedule, not 17-game schedule, your chances of making the playoffs are usually about 1-10. in 10. You know, it was it was pretty rare, about 20, maybe even a 20% chance as high as that if you're going to actually make the playoffs. So if you get to 2-0, and now it's, it's, it's piecemealing the rest of your schedule. I think the one thing that I'm really curious to see is this. In, in a hostile stadium that's going to be incredibly loud when you're on offense, what is the interior pass protection like then? Because it wasn't sufficient on Sunday. Cleveland was good, but but you know, no no surprise, the right guard and pass protection and the center struggled, um, and that was in a quiet environment, right? At least for you, offensively, it was. Um, you're going to be playing against a really good defensive line, especially interior, with the Eagles in a stadium where it's going to be loud, and and I guess I come back to. Uh, one, are you going to be able to protect Kirk with interior protection? Because that can be dip- that can be tough, especially if a guy is right on top of him as soon as he drops back to pass. And my second one is penalties. 
Like, is Ingram going to flinch because he's like, oh, my God, I got it. And then, you know, you come up a little bit and you're called. So I, I think that that is uh, I think that's something that we're probably not going to think about a ton until the game gets here. But that's the one thing, because if you are on Kirk instantly or hell, any quarterback, not just Kirk, if your defensive line is on him instantly, it makes it incredibly tough. And now you got to run probably more than you want. And that actually, Dex, might be the best chance to suppress Jefferson, too. Yeah. Because I don't uh, I don't think you're going to stop him. I, I mean, this whole thing of, well, the Packers didn't try or whatever. Uh, no, they actually did try. And that was the problem. On, on the offensive line and defensive end front for the Philadelphia. So the good news is, you know, Eagles, the Eagles did lose Derek Barnett to an ACL tear. So he is out. That's, good that's news. one less cog you got to worry about. Yeah. Um, and then the Vikings in week one actually ranked eighth in pass blocking win rate. So among the, among the 32 teams, they, they ranked eighth, which was solid. But there were still moments, right? Ed Ingram got worked a, a few times. Um, Bradbury did the, the, too again. Bradbury did as well. So it, it's not, you know, and it's, it's one game sample size. So you can't get too, too hung up on it. But, that's one less thing you got to worry about from the, from the Vikings side. That's actually good news that Derek Barnett, unfortunately, did get injured if you're a Vikings fan. Um, but, yeah, how Kirk is protected and is able to get to that line of scrimmage. You know, I mean, Denver yesterday had, what, three delay game calls? I, 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 and, and you can't also, hear in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, the, the delay game calls. There yep. was false starts. Like, they looked as unorganized as you can possibly look. Um, so, luckily, the Vikings have the luxury that their first game, they know what they're doing. And, you know, I think you and I were talking off mic yesterday that that cadence for Kirk, not, what, what, was it change? I forget what the exact word you, you told me was. It's quicker. It's like two words yeah. now. It's it's not as long. So so it, that, that part's different, but they had the experience now. So how they play in Philadelphia with that line will probably determine a lot of things, too. Outstanding stuff, sir. Take us home. All right. Mackie and Judd, hit the subscribe button for Daily Minnesota Sports Entertainment. Of course, we're on Purple Daily as well. We had a nice conversation about Justin Jefferson entering Randy Moss territory as well. So hit the subscribe on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. We had like 45,000, 45,000 people watch Ventline on Sunday, dude. It's a stadium full of people. It is. That's a stadium full of people that watch Ventline. So thank you so much. Hit the subscribe button over there as well. Write that down, predictions. God, Nathaniel Hackett hosing me on what would have been just a great touchdown. Write that down, prediction. And I know Judd has an accountability session too. So bloodbath probably tomorrow on Write That Down. We'll be back on Wednesday.